A national security agency cloud computing acquisition is in limbo. That's after losing bidder Microsoft successfully challenged one of the source selection criteria. The case shows how carefully agencies need to tread, especially when price is not the main criterion. Smith Pactor McWhorter procurement attorney Joseph Petrillo reviews the case for us. And Joe, uh, well, what happened here? This was a another hot competition between two companies that are always hotly competing, and that is Microsoft and Amazon. Yes, absolutely. To set the table, this is a procurement by the National Security Agency for cloud computing services, both classified and unclassified. It's a big contract. It's a five-year contract with an option for five additional years worth hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And it was a best value procurement with non-price factors, as you've mentioned, more important than price. And of the non-price factors, the technical and management factors were significantly more important than the other non-price factors. When the evaluation was over, Amazon Web Services nudged out Microsoft They were evaluated as superior in both the technical and management factors, but Microsoft had a better price. The evaluated price was $422 million for Microsoft and $482 million for Amazon Web Services. The procurement, by the way, the program was called Wild and Stormy by the National Security Agency. So they have a a sort of vivid way of naming these things. Sounds like Windy had stormy eyes or Stormy had windy eyes. I forget that old song, but it (laughs) reminds me of that old 60s uh, tune there. Well, maybe that's what they were thinking of. But in any event, this became a wild and stormy procurement. When protested, there were a number of issues that Microsoft raised. One of them didn't work. There was a difference between the two in which Amazon Web Services had proposed a dedicated approach to meeting NSA's needs. Microsoft, however, was meeting the computing needs of NSA through a system that worked for several users. So it was a multi-tenant, basically, system. Multi-federal tenant or just multi-tenant? That's not clear from the decision. Got it. Uh, But the issue is, you know, whether Amazon's approach of dedicating it That was considered a significant discriminator between the proposals. And Microsoft said, but there wasn't anything in the evaluation criteria that said we were going to value that. GAO decided that that was not a good protest issue. And it said that the distinction or the difference between multi-tenant and dedicated services came under the heading of planning, executing, and maintenance of all cloud service offerings. So this sort of fairly general umbrella, in GAO's view, is broad enough to embrace very specific discernment between a dedicated system and one that services many users. We are speaking with Smith Pactor McWhorter procurement attorney Joseph Petrillo, and that's kind of surprising that Microsoft would even bid a multi-tenant solution to something like the NSA, knowing how they are the most rigorous agency, I think, of all of even the intelligence community when it comes to security. And so multi-tenancy has always been an issue for every federal agency. So Microsoft was not sustained on that ground. What about the other ground? They fared better in attacking a significant weakness that NSA had assigned to its proposal, One of the issues in the procurement was that NSA wanted to try to achieve technical parity with commercial offerings. So it was concerned that when a new offering became available, it would be certified for 
both classified and unclassified use by its users as quickly as possible so that they could take advantage of improvements that were available in the commercial marketplace. Now, as you know, there are several different ways of certifying cloud computing services. There's the FedRAMP system, which is managed jointly by Homeland Security sure, GSA. Yep. Mm-hmm. DISA does the same thing for most DOD agencies, and NSA has its own process. And all of these processes distinguish between various levels of security, and some of them get quite granular in, in doing that. The way that NSA had read Microsoft's proposal, they considered that DISA would have to approve both classified and unclassified new service offerings before those offerings were sent to NSA for approval. And that got them upset. They wanted to be in the queue earlier than that. Microsoft said, no, that's not what we said at all. And GAO read the proposal and agreed with Microsoft. They felt that NSA had simply misread the proposal and made assumptions about there being a contract between Microsoft and DISA that might stand in the way of approval. All right. So Microsoft was turned down on one protest ground, sustained on the other. What did the GAO then decide? Well, there was one other protest ground that Microsoft won on, and that was a latency issue. It looked like, in the evaluation, Amazon Web Services had a quicker communications system with the cloud computing service. Uh, It's called latency time. And it depends on two factors. One is the physical distance between the data center and NSA. And since everyone's using fiber optics, that factor relies solely on the distance, on the physical distance, because the signals travel at the same distance through fiber optic cable. That's right. And sometimes even the speed of light is too slow in these computing applications. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And the other issue is... You know, how much additional time is added by the contractor's network equipment because there's some delay there. Amazon apparently had done its estimate of latency time using only the physical distance. Microsoft had used the physical distance and included the lag caused by its network equipment. NSA apparently did not discern that difference in the estimation and unfairly decided that Amazon had a quicker system. GAO said, no, that's not the case. This is not an apples-to-apples comparison. And so you've based an important factor here on a misreading of the proposal again. There were a bunch of other issues, but Microsoft did not prevail on any of those. The upshot of this all is protest was sustained on those two issues. They're significant enough to require a reevaluation of proposals and a new award decision. And when that happens, are the bidders allowed to revise their bids so that, for example, the latency of all of the components between the data center and the agency are taken into consideration and so on? Well, GAO did not require a reopening of discussions, which would include a revision of bids. So that may not be what's happening. It's, it's up to NSA to decide how to implement this. They may have valid reasons for wanting to reopen and reevaluate the proposals, Uh, One of the issues, interestingly enough, that wasn't successful, although GAO didn't note NSA should take it into account, was there was a a question about how the evaluated prices were developed and how they were evaluated. They consisted of three sample task orders and then prices for five different benchmarks. 
those were all totaled, although it seemed that the benchmark prices, which were very small in comparison to the task order prices in actual performance, those benchmark prices would constitute much more of the total of price. Somehow the evaluation system didn't take that into account, and NSA might want to fix that, but that would probably require a new round of proposals. All right, so at this point, then, the NSA is it with respect to what happens next. That's right. Joe Petrillo is a procurement attorney with Smith Pactor McWhorter. Thanks so much for that analysis. It's my pleasure. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most 
was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. 
It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Top tech companies like Intel have a secret to their success. They get the best talent, reliable infrastructure, and save on costs by expanding in Ohio, the new Silicon Heartland. Learn how your business can succeed in Ohio. Visit successinohio.com.